there is a difference between God's omnipresence and God's manifested presence. The Bible says that God is everywhere present, and He is. No matter where you go, He is there. No matter where an unbeliever goes, He is there. No matter where a believer goes, He is there. But then there is the manifested presence to where you can sense and you feel Him. Today, when, when the, the first note came off of the, the piano and, and the instruments, I felt His presence. And that's not just a Sunday thing. It should be a Monday through Saturday thing. I went golfing with Ryan Hutchinson and Jake. And there was a moment where because of a communion with God, I was in the cart and he said, this is much different, isn't it? And just because he spoke to my spirit, what hit my spirit, it immediately came out. And I said, guys, it sure does feel good golfing sober, doesn't it? Because all three of us used to golf drunk. But we were out there doing it sober. But it's still his manifested presence on me that I could hear him whisper that to my spirit. It's the manifested presence on you that when you bow your head, I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but it's like your heart drops and you just feel him swoop on you and you can do nothing but begin to cry or Breathe deeply because His presence comes in so strong it literally takes your breath away and it, it, your heart just drops. And if you've never felt that, that's what I long for you to feel. That is what I long for you to sense. That is what I long for you to be a part of. Is to live a life that when you go to Him, you feel Him. You experience Him. And you know when you walk into somebody's house that there's the absence of him. (laughs) Because you're so close to being with him that when you go into an environment you know, well, his omnipresence is here, but his manifested presence is not. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. And that's why I asked, how many of you do you feel his presence? And not every hand went up, and I'm glad you're people of integrity that said, no, I don't. Because I believe there's a reason that you don't. And I want to share that reason today. So turn with me to Numbers chapter 3. Y'all ready? Do you give me permission just to let loose today? Yeah. (laughs) Who said that? I love you, brother. I've got control. They gave me a little app where they're like, now, Pastor, you can control all your PowerPoint. They're working themselves out of a job, which is good. Numbers chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. You there? If not, we got a really tiny Bible on the screen. This is the account of the family of Aaron and Moses at the time the Lord talked with Moses on Mount Sinai. The names of the sons of Aaron were Nadab, the firstborn, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. Those were the names of Aaron's sons, the anointed priests who were ordained to serve as priests. Nadab and Abihu, however, fell dead before the Lord. They made an offering with unauthorized fire. Some scriptures say strange fire. I'm going to use strange fire because I just don't want to get tongue-tied when I have to say unauthorized fire. (laughs) They offered this strange fire before him in the desert of Sinai. They had no sons, so only Eleazar and Ithamar served as priests during the lifetime of of their father Aaron. Let's bow our heads and pray one more time. Father, 
There is only one fire, and that's yours. Anything else is just simply strange. And I pray today, Father God, that we will recognize the difference. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen. I'm just going to dive in and, and just let you have it first thing. Remember, I just talked about omnipresence versus manifest presence. And God's manifest presence does not usually come upon a person when their heart and their life is not sold out for him. I'm just going to cut it straight to you. You are saved and you're going to heaven. And that's awesome. But the manifest presence of God doesn't usually come upon a person when their heart or their life is not sold out to him. Because a true life that is sold out to God is anchored in this burning desire for his presence. Not just on Sunday morning, but a day-to-day basis. And what we have to understand as believers is sin still affects our fellowship with God. See, we've got such a grace movement in the churches today that we're using grace as a huge carpet. That we cover up our sin. We cover up what we want to do. But grace is not a cover up. Grace is to move us towards a life that is worthy and holy to God. Just because you've got fire insurance and you're going to heaven does not mean that sin, nature, has been eradicated in you. The effect of sin, which is death, has been eradicated through the blood of Jesus Christ, but the sin nature is still in you and he creeps up. And that's why I brought my dummy last week. Only brought one dummy today and that's me. And that's why we have to guard the sin nature. So we're going to take it a step further because we have to understand that sin affects our fellowship with God. So let's be upfront and real. For the unsaved, for anybody in this room, you do have not given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. There is only one key thing that you need to rectify. And that's the problem with sin. So your job is to believe. To believe in Jesus. To believe that his blood takes away sin. Not the sin nature, but sin. The penalty of sin, which is death to eternal damnation called hell. So the unsaved person's responsibility is to have sins forgiven. And that kind of forgiveness, my friends, the unsaved responsibility is to believe. And that brings salvation forgiveness. Okay? And all of you that have given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, wow, that works, has salvation forgiveness. You had that the moment that you bowed your heart to the Lord. However, it's not just an unbeliever who has a problem with sin nature. We also have the problem with the sin nature. Believers have a problem with sin. So at the point of salvation, all of your sins were forgiven. That salvation forgiveness, you've got that. And that includes, which we'll learn next week, our past sins, our present sins, and our future sins. The forgiveness came at the point of salvation. But according to the Bible in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30, it tells us believers do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We don't preach that no more. But it is a command to the believer. Do not. Everybody say do not. That's not optional y'all. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. That is our command. That is our responsibility as a believer. Because any sin in the believer's life grieves the Spirit of God. And if it grieves the Spirit of God, the result of that is the break of fellowship with God. You're not breaking the fact that you're saved. You're breaking the fact of the connection. The fellowship. Where when you bow your head, there he is. When when you lift up your hands to worship, you feel him. 
When you walk into a space, you know He is there. The manifest presence of God is broken. So the key word for the unbeliever is to believe. The key word for the believer is to confess. And the primary responsibility for the unbeliever is to have the sins forgiven, which brings him to salvation forgiveness. But what we don't teach in the churches is the primary responsibility of the believer is to confess, which is for fellowship forgiveness. How many of you ever heard of fellowship forgiveness? Two people. No wonder. I knew the man was a southerner. He understands these things. Misty, right? Welcome. Welcome. See, in the South, we're taught about fellowship forgiveness. That that can be broken. And see, something about Southerners, we just want His presence. We want to experience it. We don't want to create an experience. We want to make sure the experience is not broken. So it's something called fellowship forgiveness that we confess our sins. For the unbeliever, listen to me, it is about position. For the believer, it is about experience. When one believes in how salvation, forgiveness, they now have a position in the Lord Jesus Christ. They now have a position in the kingdom of God as a child of God. But for the believer, for all of you that have given your life to Christ, it's about your experience. And if you're not experiencing God the way I've explained it, then something's broken in your life. Well, that's why. Yeah. It's not just you're in a desert or you're dry or you've never felt God in your life. Is there some structure in broken? There is something unauthorized that you're doing that you can't feel His manifest presence. Because sin in the believer's life breaks that connection, breaks that fellowship with God. No, you're going to heaven. I'm talking about feeling Him as you would feel somebody sitting next to you, sensing that they're there, experiencing that they're there. And the experience of His manifest presence can be lost. His omnipresence will never be lost, but the manifest presence of God can be. Are you with me this morning? Okay. I just want to teach you today. I want to get it. Look, I just met a couple that heard me on the radio six years ago. Said, I heard you talking about, oh, God's got a vision for this community. God's going to send revival. She says, do you still believe it today? I said, you better believe I believe it today. Or I still wouldn't be here. The day that I believe revival is not going to happen, I'm out. But I know my job as a shepherd is to prepare you for what's coming to get you right, ripe, and right, and ready for when the rain does fall in this place, that we're ready to send it out to everybody else. Are you hearing me? Consider me your coach, your teacher of how to be right and ripe and ready for when he comes. Amen? Because I'm telling you, he's hovering over us, but he wants to sit on us. And believe me, when he sits on you, it don't hurt, okay? He's a big God, but when he sits on you, it actually feels pretty good. Here's the deal. Is a true life of being able to walk in the manifest presence of God or to walk in the Spirit, as the Bible calls it, is anchored in a desire for his presence. And when you live in the Spirit and desire His presence, His presence will manifest. And here's the big thing, is where His presence manifests, needs are met. I was talking to somebody this morning in the lobby that went to a a healing conference, and she was talking about all of these healings, and I was like, you know, I've got a very analytical mind, so I start questioning people like like a, a cop or a lawyer, and I have to go through the process to get the context, and I was like, okay, was it open to the public? Was it just people that were hungry for healing? Was was it people that were coming to the training that were bringing people? And she's like, basically, it was everybody that wanted to learn about healing. I said, so it was a it was an atmosphere of expectancy. It was an atmosphere of desire. 
It was an atmosphere of, of wanting God. And she's like, yeah. I said, so that's why people were getting healed is because when you come and you're expecting His presence and you want His presence and you're coming in unity and one accord, there they are and they're wanting the manifested presence of God to bring healing and needs were met because He was there. You hearing me this morning? So if it's not only corporately, that means it's individually. So individually, if I want His manifest presence and I'm living a life to where the manifest presence is on me, needs are getting met in me. Are you hearing me this morning? So that's truly walking in the Spirit of God. But as a believer, it's not just get saved and all of a sudden, bam, God gives you everything. I'm telling you, there is a pattern and there is an order in the Bible to a lot of different things. But I want to teach you today the pattern and the order to have fellowship with God. So look with me either in your Bible or up on the screen at John 1, 5, and 6. I like this. I guess because I'm a control freak, so I like control. I'm guilty. Hey. And a lot of y'all are control freaks too. (laughs) And all the wives said amen. (laughs) John 1, 5 through 6 says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, two things happen. We have fellowship with one another, which is beautiful, just like the healing conference. It's not just like we, we, you know, we have a potluck. (laughs) And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. There's a pattern in here. There's three things in here. And John lays out the pattern, the structure, the order that we have to have in our life to have fellowship with God in a way that we experience His manifested presence. And the first thing is, is a fundamental truth. And you cannot get away from fundamental truths. God is light. That is the fundamental truth that cannot be broken. So the essence of the fundamental truth that God is light is saying that the very nature of God affects the spiritual life of a believer. And the next Northfield University, I'm doing a whole entire session on the spiritual life and the fellowship with God. And it's going to take a long time because we're going to dig into some stuff. So be on the lookout for that. But the very nature of God affects the believer's spiritual life and affects the fellowship with God simply upon the fundamental fact that God is light. What does God is light mean? It means He is a pure light, which pure light is holy. He's, he's righteous. There's absolutely no darkness in Him. The second thing that he spells out is there is a response to this fundamental truth. A response that the believer must make in light of the fundamental truth. It says if we claim to have fellowship with God, but we're walking in darkness. We're walking in sin. We do not speak the truth. Okay? Bottom line, what that is saying is you cannot have that connected fellowship with God. You cannot have that manifest presence of God over your life while you're walking in the darkness. Or while you're walking in unconfessed sin because holiness can't get near that. So every time we sin, every time we deliberately take an action that is not in accordance with the word of God, we're breaking that experiential walk with God. We're not breaking the salvation forgiveness. We're breaking the fellowship forgiveness where we then do not sense the manifest presence of God. Are you with me? Okay, third. He shows you the practice of every believer. If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with God. Just because of grace, that doesn't make me automatically a beaming, shining light. 
Are you hearing me? So don't think because of grace I can do what I want to do. No, because of grace you have been saved, salvation, forgiveness, and because of His mercy and His goodness and His grace, it should make me want to walk towards Him and walk in the light as He is in the light. But because I still have a sin nature, I can still wake up each and every day a saved person, but as be as dark as coal. Are you hearing me? So you got to be careful. So it says that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him. And that's why it says the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And if you walk right on down to verse 9, it says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. And that word forgive us from all unrighteousness literally is familia. So it means a family ordeal. It means fellowship with him. Are you with me? I won't go into that too much because I'll get into that in the spiritual life thing. But when we practice confession as a believer, according to 1 John 1, 9, when we do sin and we sense that, oh my goodness, I'm not feeling him like I'm feeling him. I haven't experienced him like I did when I first got saved. Then you know what? I've got to bow my head in confession and, then, and he forgives and that presence returns. Therefore, life in the Spirit, to walk in the light of God's Word, is to wake up each day, open this book up and go, Expose me, God. Expose my heart. Expose my motives. Expose my thinking. Expose my ideas. Because I want that koinonia with you. Which koinonia is literally spiritual nakedness. I want to come before you naked and unashamed and saying I'm a wretched person. Yes, I'm saved and going to heaven. But your presence is not there like it used to be. And what is it that is blocking you from getting to me? Like I want to feel you. Are you hearing me? So when I feel conviction, which we don't preach that anymore. Oh, pastors, we stay away from conviction. We just want it to be edifying and encouraging. At least they'll all come back next Sunday and give their money to where we can grow the church. I ain't worried about growing the church economically. I'm worried about growing the church spiritually. If you don't give a dime, I don't care. I want you to grow in the things of God. But I guarantee if you start growing in the things of God, money follows ministry and you'll start giving to the church. Amen? So I worry about the core things first, and that's you, your spirit, and that connection with God. Conviction brings confession that brings the fellowship forgiveness. And because you desire His presence each and every day and hunger for His manifested presence each and every day, it should draw us to get into His Word and to seek His forgiveness and have that connection. So what I'm trying to tell you is there is a pattern and there is an order for continued day-to-day fellowship with God to walk in the light. Now, if you don't want that and you're just happy with your fire insurance to make it to heaven, then, you know, that's totally up to you. That's why the Bible says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But baby, during my salvation, I want to experience heaven on earth. I want to know when I'm all uh, home alone and it's all dark and something creaks and I'm like, oh God! And he, whoosh, don't worry. It was just the house settling. Oh, thank you. I'm a scaredy cat. I used to be afraid of the darkness. Still am. So here's the deal is when the pattern is followed, when there is order and there is structure, then comes his glory. When you've got order and structure in your life, then comes his presence. Don't believe me? Structure and order was at the beginning. First there was chaos. First there was nothingness. And God spent six days bringing order out of the chaos on this earth. When everything was structured and ordered for man to live in an environment to where he could succeed, that's where the manifested presence of God came in and went... Blew into the nostrils of the man and he became a living soul. There was a pattern. The pattern was complete. Order came out of chaos and God's presence was freely given. 
And that was the blessing of Adam and Eve. Daily they could get up and had the privilege of fellowship with God. To sense and feel and experience the manifest presence of God. Oh, well, pastor, that was just way before sin. I understand that. But it's also symbolic of what he wants for you to have here on this earth. He wants you to feel and experience in him. But like all of us, Adam, with full knowledge of what he was doing, chose to disobey. Chose to break the order and the structure and the pattern. He chose to get up and walk in darkness that day. Broke that fellowship with God. Lost the manifest presence of God. You fast forward several hundred years. Now God delivers the children of Israel out of Egypt, which I've taught you is a symbolism of your old nature and your old life and your flesh and sin. He delivers them out of the bondage of that, just like He delivers us out of the bondage of sin. He brings Israel to the backside of a desert. You notice He never said, I'm going to take you to the promised land. He says, I want to take you to the desert. Because before you can ever experience the promised land of his manifested presence, he's got to train you about something in the desert. And I would say Northfield has been in a desert for six years. Because we haven't been to the promised land of his glory falling in this place. I talked to the, some of the old saints that been here back in the 80s and the 70s of the heyday of Northfield. It wasn't the heyday of Northfield. It was when God was moving in this community and it was the heyday of God's presence. But God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It is, Pastor? Yes, and that's why there wants to be a heyday of His presence again. Are you with me? So here they are. They're out in the wilderness And God gives Moses an order and a structure. He said, here's the order, here's the structure of how the people are to have fellowship with me. And in Exodus chapter 29, 46, you can just take a note of that. You don't have to turn there. But Exodus 29, 46, the Bible says, They will know that I am the Lord thy God who brought them out of Egypt that I might dwell among them. That I might tabernacle with them. That my presence might surround them. It has always been God's desire and it's still God's desire today to have fellowship with mankind. Not just a salvation experience with mankind, but a fellowship experience with mankind. So that you, the children of God, can experience your Father on a day-to-day basis. And it's called manifest presence. Some people call it glory. Whatever you want to call it, it is His presence. So God instructs Moses. He says, first things first, son, build a tabernacle. Oh, you you start getting into the Old Testament and you will soon fall asleep with the instructions that he gave Moses. They were detailed. They were specific. They were down to the inches. God said, son, here's a pattern and you better get this pattern right because it reflects the pattern in heaven. There is an order. There is a structure. So that my glory, so that my presence can dwell among my people. And once that tabernacle was built according to the structure and according to the order. And it was followed just like God said. The Bible says the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. His presence filled the tent. God said, let's take it a little bit further. Now you're going to need some priests. And God's pattern for the priests were detailed and specific. And there was an order and there was a structure. The the Bible says that Nadab and Abihu were ordained. What that means is that they were set apart. They were trained for this specific day. Their duties, their parameters, how they were to act, how they were to walk, how they were to uh, dress were all detailed and outlined in very specific details that was passed from God's mouth to Moses' heart out of Moses' mouth to the people that this is the way. It really hasn't changed any much. I don't have to wear any priestly garb. But God gives your pastor, the man of God, the instructions to come out of the mouth unto you to say this is the structure, the order, the way to live your life in order to experience God and to be blessed. 
This is not about a paycheck for me. And if you don't understand that, this is a calling for me. I could go and do this anywhere. I've got opportunities to go to other churches and do this anywhere. But God chose me for you and is a calling. If it's a job, I'd have been out a long time ago. I can get paid anywhere. And I'm not, I'm not saying that is a threat. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong because this is not a threat. It is to get your mind straight. I'm here because I love you. I'm here because I God sent something that God wants to do. And I want to see it fulfilled. If, if it takes me 20 years. Anybody got any needle and thread? Let me sew up this lip. I'm hoping it don't take that long, y'all. Because I'm not a very patient person. Somebody was asking me how the keto diet. I was like, the keto diet's not a problem. It's my patience that is a problem. I'd like to lose 10 pounds every day. Then the keto diet would be awesome. So pray for my patience with y'all, okay? You with me? Okay, so Moses had this relative by the name of Aaron. And the Bible says that out of Aaron's loins would come the priesthood. So God gets this priesthood set up. He gets the pattern. He gets the order. He gets the instructions. He gets the details. And God uses Aaron's four sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, that they may minister unto God. And part of that pattern, part of that order, part of that structure was how the priest kept that manifested presence in the tabernacle. Because understand, there were three parts to the tabernacle. There was the outer court, there was the holy place, and there was the holy of holies. And in the outer court, there were two things that were very interesting. First, there was the brazen altar, and then there was the brazen levir. On the altar is where the sacrifices were made, where blood was shed. Whoop, wait a minute, that is a picture of the unsaved coming to Jesus, believing in the sacrifice, believing in the blood that was shed in order to have salvation forgiveness to where I could be connected to God now. Because the blood, the sacrifice, covers over my sin. Salvation, forgiveness. But the interesting thing is the levir was next. The levir is where the priest washed themselves with water. Oh, where did I see that before? It is by confessing our sins by the washing of the water of the word. Are you seeing this? The washing of the water represents the washing of the word of God, which brings me into a place as I open up and I start washing my... Not literally doing this on a day-to-day basis. (laughs) But washing myself with the word of God. Where conviction of my sin comes, I confess it to have fellowship forgiveness, which allows me to come into the manifest presence of God. See, a lot of people don't understand that foot washing was about that. Foot washing is just not a ritual and something where we go, oh, isn't that so great? The pastor's washing the dirty feet of the board members. It means nothing like that. It was about family fellowship. Because once the body was washed, the feet that get dirty as they walk represented the sin. So before they entered the house, they washed the feet so that they could have family fellowship. So Jesus was symbolically showing you and I at the time that they were washing the feet of Jesus is that this is how your life has to be in order to have fellowship with me. You have to continuously wash your feet or wash the sin out of your life to where you can be connected and feel that manifest presence. How many of you love family? You love getting together and it just feels good when you're all together and everybody's just having fun. It's like you're telling stories and people are crying. And it's, ah. That's what it is with God. It's the way it should be with God. Now, some of y'all are fighting and, and beating each other. and that, You know what? We're getting you to a place to where that's not happening. <laughs> but after washing themselves, they went into the tent. And the first part of the tent that they experienced was the holy place. And there's a whole lot of things in there that symbolize a whole lot of things. But we're not going to talk about that. But behind the veil was the holy of holies. And once a year, the high priest went beyond that veil to offer up a sacrifice for atonement for all of Israel and prayed before God. And the interesting thing is, is he carried in his hand a censer of coals. 
And that censer of coals was taken from the fire on the burnt offering. But the interesting thing that you have to know about the fire on the burnt offering is that God started it. And on the fire of your burnt offering, when you bowed your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ and said, I've accepted your sacrifice and your blood here at the burnt offering, God started something in you. He started a fire in you. If you remember when you were first saved, everything was like, ah! Ah! an ant. Proverbs says to look to the ant. I don't remember what it said from there. <laughs> Beautiful ant. It's biblical, the ants. Y'all remember those times? Because if you didn't have that, maybe you just need to get saved all over again and make it real, okay? Because when I was first saved, I mean, every, everything that the pastor preached, I was like, ah! I never saw that. <laughs> it's so beautiful. You'd come to church and all the new people, they get on the front row and they're like, yeah, I preach it, pastor. At least that's what they do in the south, okay? Here they sit in the back row and then they're first to leave. (laughs) Where was I? I'm trying to stay on point. I really am. Oh, so God started the fire. Let's look at that. Leviticus 9.24, And there came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat, which when all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces. God started the original fire. God started the original fire in you. When he started the original fire, it was the inauguration of the priesthood. The offering was accepted by the Lord, consumed by fire that came from heaven. And here's the deal. The fire that came from heaven was no ordinary fire. It was a holy fire. It was a holy fire. Many rabbis say it was the literal Shekinah glory that came down and started that fire. From God himself coming down to start that fire. And that same fire that God started, they were to fan that flame and keep it going and get that coal that God started and bring it into the Holy of Holies. And that's why the Bible says in Leviticus 16, 12 through 23, And he shall take a censer full of burning coals of the fire off the altar before the Lord, and his hands full of sweet incense beaten small, and bring it within the veil. And he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, that, that, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony. What that he die not? So here we have Nadab and Abihu. They're very first. I say first. Don't miss that. Their very first assignment. But the problem with these two jokers is they disregarded the pattern and they disregarded the order and they disregarded the structure that they had been given from the man of God and they filled their censers with a fire that did not originate from the holy fire and they entered into the tabernacle with a human fire. And the pattern... And the presence was broken. And God rejected it. And God said, unauthorized. That's strange. They came into the Holy of Holies with a strange fire. They came into a Holy of Holies with a human fire. And when you bring humanity into holiness and try to make holiness accept humanity, God rejects it every day and fellowship is broken. Read that again. When you bring humanity into holiness and try to make holiness accept humanity, God is going to reject it and your fellowship is broken. And he'll say, that's strange to me. Because God only receives that which is of him. But doesn't when he just sees me, he sees Jesus? No, he sees you. (laughs) Covered in the blood. Yeah, that gives you access, but your sin's going to break the fellowship. Y'all don't believe me? 
Got one person. Maybe y'all been taught wrong all these years. Maybe that's the problem. Just because you're covered in the blood, it, it covers sin. But you still have your sin nature to deal with. That's why he wrote 1 John 1, 9. He was talking to believers. God only receives that which is of him. Therefore, holiness is the only thing that can go back to him. Oh, you're just one of them legalistic holy roller pastors. No, I'm not. I ain't wearing no suit today. That's holy roller telling all the women you got to wear your skirt down to your ankles and don't wear no makeup. That's legalistic mumbo jumbo. But living a life worthy of the calling, that's biblical. To be holy as God is holy, that's biblical. To confess our sins, that's biblical. Are you hearing me? So God is holy. Represented by what? A holy fire. And now they are causing God to reap a strange fire. It didn't come from him. And when it doesn't come from him, he doesn't receive it. Not only does he receive it, he rejects it. Not only does he reject it, but the one that brought to him, Nadab and Abihu, they're dead. I wish he'd start that up again in church. Be a whole lot more holy people in the church, wouldn't there? <laughs> Pastor, I never drunk a... <clears throat> and you fall down dead. Pastor, I was at home watching TV and watching you on Facebook. <laughs> You're dead. You liar. You were out at the lake. But he don't do that no more and we'll tell you why. Anyway, they, they brought human fire into a holy place. And I love God. He said, you think that's fire? Let me show you fire. And a, consume, a fire ate a fire. He's a consuming fire. And he ate up that junk. He says, get this strange fire out of my house. And while I'm at it, I'm going to kill you. Why? Because they brought foolishness into the house of God. Pizzas are coming. Karen's back there. Okay. All right, here's the deal. Is I believe they fell dead because God wanted all of you to understand order and structure. He wanted you today to understand there's an order, there's a standard, there's a structure to experience the manifest presence of God. Which simply says, when I give you a directive, you do what I said. Oh, pastor, you're just an Old Testament preacher. Why don't you step on over into the New Testament and come with us to the grace side? Okay, so glad you said that. So let's go ahead and jump over to Acts chapter 5. Okay. Now a man named Ananias together with his wife Sapphira also sold a piece of property with his wife's full knowledge. He kept back part of the money for himself but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. So here we are. We got two Christians bringing their tithe. I'm so holy. Look at my tithe check. Right? That's what they were doing. But they were in a covenant of deceit. A covenant of deceit because his wife knew it. They were trying to bring darkness into light. They were trying to bring their humanity into holiness and tried to make holiness accept humanity. And I love verse 3 because Peter says, Ananias, how in the stink has Satan so filled your heart? Somebody say filled. That same word filled there is the same word that is used in the Bible when it tells you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To be filled means to be controlled. Now, as a believer, as a a Christian, this Ananias, he was not demon-possessed. Nor as a Christian can you just say, well, Pastor, Satan made me do it. That's why I had an affair on my wife. No, you can't say that. Here's the deal. Is Ananias and Sapphira allowed Satan to control which fire 
was brought into God's presence. And listen to me closely. This is how strange fire enters your life. This is how you break the manifest presence of God over your life and break the fellowship because James... James 1.14 says, But every man is tempted. Every man, every woman, Monday morning, temptation is coming. Every man is tempted when we are drawn away by our own lust and enticed. Look at how it progresses. Tempted, drawn away, enticed. So understand Ananias and Sapphira chose to do this. They had full knowledge of what the Spirit of God was doing in the church. And at the beginning, it was two things. Unity and sharing. It was a move of God through the first church. Unity. Everybody was in unity in one accord. Everybody sold their own possessions and gave to one another. Unity and sharing was the move of God back then. And just like Adam... They had full knowledge of the wrong that they came into covenant to do. And because of the lust of the flesh inside of them that I told you you have to guard last week. Because the lust of greed, because of this strange fire, it led to the conception and the birth of sin. And instead of bringing lust into the community of believers... Instead of bringing lust into conformity with what God was doing. Or like we say today, instead of bringing that lust into conformity with the word of God. Instead of drawing from that holy fire. And we'll tell you what that is in a little bit. But instead of drawing from that holy fire. The idea of strange fire was birthed. It was birthed in their hearts. And it led to their deliberate intention to deceive. And Satan was able to gain control and control which fire was brought to God. Now watch this. Everybody perk up. See some of you nodding off asleep. That's half of the reason why the manifest presence of God don't come on you. You miss the structure and the order. It's like, number one. Oh, three, yeah. Oh my goodness, what's two? Okay, so here's the deal. Watch this. This was the very first sin that ever entered into the local congregation. So, it's a big deal. It's a big deal because there's always first mentions in the Bible. And wherever there's first mentions, it's a lesson. God sends a consuming fire to stop the strange fire of Ananias and Sapphira. And because they brought foolishness into the house of God, since they brought strange fire, it entered to the church for the first time. God kills them. What about Nadab and Abihu? So glad you asked. They were the first priest. They were the first priest to offer what they wanted to offer. They were the first priests to break the structure and the pattern. Ananias and Sapphira were the first believers to break the structure and the pattern. And they brought unacceptable, unauthorized, strange things before God's presence. And fellowship, manifested presence was broken and God killed both of them. Because God was making it clear in the Old Testament and God was making it clear in the New Testament. Strange fire, sin, darkness. When that comes in your life, you break the pattern. You break my fellowship. So why isn't he killing people anymore? Because he's already showed you the pattern and the structure. And he says, because I've given you a free choice, it's up to you whether or not you want me. So that's what comes to our question is, do you have a desire for His manifest presence in your life? Because if you don't, I'm sure you'll make it to heaven. But if you want needs met, walking in the blessings, walking in His fellowship, walking in wisdom, walking in knowledge, being on the golf course, hearing Him speak to you, hearing Him talk, constant communion and fellowship, it's going to take His manifest presence over your life. Are you hearing me? I'm telling you, we cannot expect as a believer to be admitted on a daily basis into his manifest presence with strange fire. So what is strange fire today? Bringing your opinion before God. 
Don't I have a right to my opinion? Well, yeah, but research it and make it into conformity with the Word of God. Your personal preference before God. Bringing your personal perspective before His presence. Bringing your ideology, bringing your philosophy into His presence. Listen, church, God said what He meant in His Word, and He meant what He said, so live your life like He said to live it. God is still a very particular God. You don't get to do whatever you want to do, however you want to do it. The king's business, the kingdom is done the king's way. Are you hearing me? And one of the great problems that we have in our society today is we bring too much of our opinion to the word of God. Well, this is what I really think it says, and according to the bad times, and <laughs> I googled it. We bring too much of our world into our lives. And then we sit back and say, I believe this is okay, and I believe that is okay. And God looks at you and goes, well, that's strange to me. Strange fire is killing our people. Strange fire is killing your marriage. Strange fire is killing your families. And in turn, it's killing our churches. Because we allow too much of the world to influence us. And we allow too much of the world to influence how we believe. And yeah, you may win friends and influence people by the world philosophy. But you're going to lose the presence of God. Are you hearing me today? God is clear. I don't want no strange fire. Can I go deeper? Y'all okay? It's 10.52. I better hurry up. In the outer court, you had daylight, natural light. In the holy place, they had candlesticks, which can be a representation of the Word. It can be a representation of the Holy Spirit. But what it, ultimately, they go hand in hand, and it was revelatory light. And then you step into the Holy of Holies and there was only one light and that was the Shekinah glory of God. So as you progress, what you're seeing is as you get further and further, it's more of God and less of you. It's quiet in here today, Lord. God said in His Word, you are mine, you belong to me, you're not your own. I sent my Son, bought you with a price... Do it the way that I said do it. And there's many commands of, of how to live your life for God. But can we just practice a few on a small scale? Can y'all entertain me for a second? And we just practice three little commands that God gives us. Thank you. Would you be the loudest, Jen? Okay. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. If you saw what I saw, no wonder the manifest presence of God ain't coming in here. <laughs> Clap your hands, oh ye people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Clap your hands, oh ye people. Notice what I didn't say. If you feel like it, <laughs> go ahead and clap your hands. Oh, if you walked in here and you don't have a headache today, could you at least raise your hands? Oh, I know you're having a bad day. Just sit back and relax. And You know, I have read on websites, and I won't tell you which one in the community. <laughs> I'm just listening to him. He said, go ahead. We won't make you feel uncomfortable. You don't have to raise your hands if you don't want to. What? <laughs> Seeker sensitive churches. They make me itch. <laughs> if I was ever one of y'all, I would never go to a seeker sensitive church. He didn't ask your opinion. When God gives you an order, He expects you to obey. 
The church needs to stop coming into the house of the Lord and stop telling God, oh, this is how I feel today and the Lord just knows where I am and I'm just going to lay down into mully grubs and let everybody come to me and say, what's wrong with you? Can I pray for you? No, I'm coming out of this because God said, let everything that has breath serve the Lord. We have lost order and structure in our society today. And we're losing it in the church. Then we wonder why we're not experiencing the power and the presence of God in the church. And let me prove to you that we're losing order in the church. Because I'm a firm believer that if we lose order and structure in the church, it's going to be lost in the family. Because we have society today where we don't have parents parenting children anymore. We've turned it into, Johnny, let us have a family negotiation session. Okay, little Johnny, if you would stop beating your sister with the frying pan, here's what mommy's going to do. She'll give you a cookie. Okay, let me try something else. Her head is bleeding, Johnny. (laughs) Stop beating your sister. Susie, could you at least wear the red shirt today? If you wear the red shirt, mommy will buy you a mockingbird. (laughs) Baby, in my house, is you see that red shirt that mama laid out for you? You're going to put on that shirt and put that shirt on right now. There are no board meetings in my house with my children. We are having lunch today and you are having fish. And if you don't want to starve, you better put that fish to your lips and start chomping down. Now, I'm not really that aggressive, but but you get my point, okay? Are you with me? Y'all be like, no wonder Kean is so quiet. Today, mothers are cooking 12 meals because all the kids don't want to eat food. We're short order cooks now. But see, God said, I'm not in the negotiation business with you. If I tell you to do it, you do what I said. Are you with me? And no wonder we're losing a generation to, to hell. It's, I love some of you new generation parents, but you need to start getting structure and order in your home. And to anyone else, when I see fire, fire is just fire. I burned a fire here, and then I burned a fire in Shadron. And they both look like fire to me. Are you with me? But here's the deal, is God looks at the origin of the fire to determine the holiness of the fire. It's not just what it is, it's where is that fire coming from. Therefore, nothing can come into the presence of God if it's disobedience. Nadab and Abihu brought their own fire which really means they were doing it their own way they were bringing their way into God's presence trying to get God to bless their flesh and they fell down dead what is it today? strange fire is anything that did not come from God that's it, bottom line drop the mic, I'm done it cannot come from revenge It cannot come from envy. It cannot come from spite. It cannot come from pride. It cannot come from selfishness. It cannot come from anger. That is strange to God. Here you are trying to get even with your husband and trying to get God to be a part of it. And he says, baby, that's strange fire. You cannot bring your ways before God and get him to bless it. Want to get even with the person that hurts you. Strange fire. 
want to hold a grudge over somebody for the rest of their life to where they know I'm going to make your life a living hell, that strange fire. Want to walk around in your moody self and your angry self and everybody's walking on eggshells because they don't want to make mama, they don't want to make daddy angry, so you, you keep them in a prison because of your mood. Strange fire. Whew, i got to buy this tape myself and listen to it. <laughs> when it's none of you, it's all of God. But when it's all of you, it's none of God. As the musicians come, I'll get out of your way. Those of you that have been with me a long time go, Yeah, right, you got another 30 minutes just to close. I'm on fire. Hallelujah. It's time, church. Today I thought, okay, God, is today the day? I feel you. I feel you stronger than, than most Sundays. Just because I put up the thing fire, some of you that want it had a desire, and that desire started bringing him in. It's time for all of us in this room to desire His fire. It's time for all of us to jump into the levier of His Word and wash ourselves. It's time once again to allow the preacher to preach a hard word instead of just tickle my ears please, tickle my ears please. No, preach it where I can feel conviction again. Churn that word conviction to, oh, he's just condemning. And I'll tell you until I'm blue in the face, condemnation is what the enemy does, which leaves you with no hope. Conviction is what I try to bring forth through the word as the Holy Spirit moves in this place. That he says, this is the sin, but there is hope and his name is Jesus. And there's a blood that can cover over it. We need to jump into the levier. Where does holy fire come from? See, every day I'm to take my censer and I'm to go to the fire and draw from love. That'll never burn out. I draw from joy and peace and patience. And kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Because when I go to that fire against such law, there is none. And it will burn and burn forever. Who in this place wants holy fire in their house? Who wants it in your marriage? In your future in this church. Give me holy fire over my strange fire. Any day of the week, God. It's got to be His fire. i got to wake up and let God purge my motives. Because they're nasty. Purge my ideas because if I'm not careful, my mind can go places. Purge my philosophies because sometimes I can let it influence me of what the world wants to do. He wants it. Hallelujah. I'm done offering strange fire. Every time I do something of me, it's strange fire. Every time I try to produce something of myself, it falls I gotta have his fire his holy fire because everything that comes from me I become so stranger to him I don't want him to look at me and say you're strange to me I want him to look at me 
say you're holy. You're holy. Everybody told you don't marry him. But you're so hard-headed you did it anyway. That strange fire. Won't listen to what the pastor says. Won't listen to what anybody says. That strange fire, sir. And you look around. You go ahead and look at what your strange fire is producing. How many of you in this place have been burned by your fire? Burned by your decision, burned by your choice, burned by your way. That's why your heart is broken. That's why your marriage is a mess. That's why your family's falling apart. So if you don't learn anything today, you need to learn. Stay away from strange fire. And you need to learn to do it God's way. But remember what I said. God started the original fire. He started the original fire in her and her and him. The moment they gave their life to the Lord Jesus Christ years ago. He started a fire in them. And they're up here saying God don't let it die. See, when God starts a fire in you, He started that fire so that the priest could fan that flame to keep that holy coal a-burning. And watch this. When God starts something in you, He wants to finish it. And when you draw from the holy fire like they are doing right now, no devil in hell can stop it. When you draw from something strange, it's going to drop dead, I promise you. It's time to drop your fire. Many more of us probably need to be led of the Spirit. You're feeling His tug. Confess your sin. Come back into the experiential, manifest presence of God and let Him set it on fire again. Because when He starts a fire in you, He starts a fire in your marriage, He starts a fire in your family, He starts a fire in your business. You don't have to keep it going when you're drawing from His coals. Yeah, you might have to do a little work. You may have to fan it. You're going to have to fan it in worship. You're going to have to fan it like they're doing in prayer. Of not being ashamed, just being led of the Lord. I've got to get it. Not being prompted by a pastor to beg you to come to the altar. You have to fan it by getting into the Word. Fan it in repentance. But if you keep on fanning it, that holy coal, that holy fire is going to continue to burn and continue to burn and continue to burn. And I am confident of this, that He that began a good work in you will carry it unto completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Who needs a holy fire? Then get down at this altar.